Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I'm Bill Price. And we have a lot to talk about today, so we're going to jump right into what have we been playing. Um, a it few... is a robust list. Yeah, we have a lot. We probably won't get to everything, but we'll do some highlights, if nothing else. Um, let's see. Do you want to start it off? Uh, sure. Sure. So uh, this last game night, we played... What did we play? Okay, <laughs> We're going to have to edit this, I think. <laughs> what did we play? Uh, you played Bloody Inn. Yeah. We did get to play that. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then you guys played, you played Lost Cities with Wilhelm. Oh, yes. And we played Lost Cities, which uh, I haven't played in quite some time. And it was, uh, and then I, I played it again with Kaz. Uh, so I've gotten like three or four plays in on it here in the last few days. And uh, it really reminds me of how awesome it is. It's a, it's a great two-player game. Uh, it is not a brain burner. It's uh, you can sit and play it casually. Uh, it can go really, really quickly. The game says thirty minutes. I'm not sure I've ever played a thirty-minute game of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's more like fifteen. Uh, you probably do even quicker if you're playing with somebody who's really familiar with it. So uh, it just goes by really smoothly. You can have a conversation. You can you know enjoy yourself. You could do something else. Talk whatever you want and just be playing this game and uh the scores are usually fairly close uh so yeah that's uh lost cities by reiner canizia not the board game the card game so i hear the board game isn't as good it plays four but um lost cities the card game is a two-player only yeah it's great it was fun i hadn't played it before and so my introduction to it and uh yeah just a nice passive game to play it's it's um easy to understand and then once you get into it it's it's going to tie in heavily to our main topic today but uh we'll discuss that in a minute so um i played uh, another game of horrified which is the only game i play anymore consistently (laughs) their game i play regularly guaranteed play gonna happen every week uh, which I love. I'm happy to do it. And then I played a, another game called uh, The Bloody Inn, which we will also talk about a little later. Yes, uh, that was uh, I, I played that as well. Um, we also played a game called uh, Kickstarter from Gabe Barrett of the Board Game Design Lab podcast. And uh, it was uh, I kickstarted it a year ago. Did it you say a game called Kickstarter? A game from Kickstarter. Oh, I said called Kickstarter. Oh, maybe. I hope not. A game called game Kickstarter. called Kickstarter, where you're kickstarting games. It's really boring. It's just a matter of time before that game yeah, comes out, It takes right? about it's a year in- and a half to play. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. No, um, it's called The Final Flick Tier, and it was, uh, I kickstarted it over a year ago. It was the very first Kickstarter I ever backed, and it finally came in the mail this week, and I've gotten a couple of plays out of it uh one with with you yep and uh i really enjoy it it's uh it's a dexterity game obviously it's a flicking flicking game you can tell by the the name it's a 4x flicking game from my understanding the first ever 4x flicking game uh for people unfamiliar with 4x it is uh basically like an epic game where you explore exploit resources um, exterminate your enemies and expand your empire. So those are the uh, those aren't really 
X's per se. <laughs> yeah, they're all E words, and some of them are redundant. They have explore X's, and expand. I mean, they have X's I mean, and then well, explore is learning new stuff and expanding's like like bolstering new I things. Guess, I guess. I so, guess you could probably do it um, in three. Yeah, three probably, X's. Three X. Me. <laughs> all my favorite games are two X's. So, um, but it's uh, so it's a flicking game. But the the cool thing about it is that it's not like a traditional flicking game. Um, it's only the flicking part, the dexterity piece, is only about maybe 20% of the game. There's seven actions you can do, and only two of those seven have anything to do with flicking anything anywhere. But uh, you're flicking dice, so your ships are these different dice, and depending on what race you are, you'll have different sided dice. Um, so you might have six-sided die, or four-sided die, or eight-sided die. And the higher up the die, it goes up to 20-sided die, um, the higher up the die, the more difficult it is to flick it without moving the number and the number you use for fighting. So if you've got a four-sided die, you can pretty much flick that everywhere all day and it stays on four. Um, your six-sided die, if it's on six, you can usually manage to keep it on six if you're not going crazy on it. Um, Eight-sided die, 10-sided die, 12-sided die, those are tough to flick with any kind of consistency and keep them on that die face. A 20-sided die, you can't do it's it. Impossible, it's impossible. Yeah. Eight and above you, is hard. 20 is impossible. Uh, yeah, you so you even touch a 20-sided die and it rolls to whatever. <laughs> so it's a complete rando. I mean, you could end up just destroying the other guy or you could end up you know, flicking it to a one and you're like, oh, okay, well, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh so, but you're collecting resources and you're building structures on different planets and you're flicking your uh, dice to different planets and uh, did a great job on it. I uh, I was a I loved the concept and I've had a year to think about it and so I started getting a little apprehensive as to whether or not I'd really like it. I'm not really good at dexterity games per se uh, because of my complete lack of hand-eye coordination, <laughs> but. Uh, it it's fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, there's like twelve different races you can be, and they all play really differently. They have different powers and upgrades, and it was just really well thought out. I could tell that he didn't just decide, "Hey, I'm going to do a dexterity game for the sake of doing a dexterity game," and just stick with the one gimmick. So I, it, great job. Uh, I think it. I, I'm pretty sure there's uh, it's available for like still for uh, late pledges or ordering off of uh, his website, Barrett Games. So Yep, I'm looking at it right now. You can still pick it up. Uh, go to Kickstarter has a late pledge. You can do a late pledge there or go to their, um, um, uh, yeah, their website. So it is still available. Yeah, I, I really liked it too. It was really fun. I, as I like flicking games, and uh, this one did a lot of things right, and I felt it was satisfying, but also we were talking a little bit about this before, and we won't get too deep into it, but just the fact that flicking doesn't, Flicking isn't the end all be all, so it flicking is more of a fun aspect of the game than it is if you're a bad flicker, you're just gonna hate doing this. It gives you kind of opportunities in your turn. You have at least two flicks, and you can quickly power up to having three flicks for movement, and so that just allows you to you know probably have a bad one and then a, a good one or two, and that's just so yeah. that that just makes the world of difference in a flicking game. Um, because, you know, especially if there's a lot of people, this only plays up to four, but if even with four, if you're coming back around the table, you kind of, you kind of forget how hard to flick yeah. <laughs> or the situation is different each time. And so you get a warm up flick and then your actual, um, flick you're going to do for 
for a purpose. So anyway, yeah, really well done. Really fun game. And uh, yeah, those mouse pad material is such a yeah, the, great flicking medium. Yeah, the production <laughs> value. plastic dice, yeah. The production value is fantastic. Um, and the it, it is on these like uh, neoprene mats, uh, like mouse pad material. Uh, you don't allow the dice to flick too far. They kind of do restrict some of the movement, which is kind of good, especially if you maybe flick a little bit too hard. Uh, it does slow it down a little bit. You're not sliding across like uh, like an ice cool. You're not sliding across. Uh, but ice cool is fun because it has walls. Uh, there's no walls right. on this. If your ship goes off. Off in the dark, the void. The dark just, void. Yeah, you have to actually use an action to bring it back on. Yeah, so. <laughs> you have to collect them again, which is cool. I like that. You don't just put it back on the board. You have to literally be like, let's... Bring let's signal them home. to come back. Yeah. yeah. So it's considered that they're on like away missions or whatever they're saying. Yeah. So, um, but again, that's uh, the final flick tier uh, by Garrett Publishing. And it is soloable. And in, with a two player game, uh, we actually used the solo AI as oh, yeah. a third player and uh, did it did surprisingly well, um, even on easy. I don't even want to imagine what it would be like on hard, but uh, it's it's a really clever AI system. That's a deck of cards that it goes through and yeah. like sends ships to different places and cl- like takes away um, like random missions and stuff. And there was one mission I was ready to get, and the AI took it literally the turn before yeah. Oh, yeah. me. I'm like, all right, that's what I'm gonna do. And then I set myself up for it, and then it's like flip the card and it's like oh take mission two and i'm like what <laughs> yeah it felt purposeful it was really really well done there's a couple that was the most obvious instance of it but there was a couple other times where it felt like it was planning against us so it well designed really well designed ai system yeah um, yeah definitely it takes basically what it does is it takes one of the character uh, or the races and that is the ai race whenever you are using ai and it's just you can tell they designed it for that but it also i have not played it but it seems like it'd be a fun one to play um, just when you're playing a four-person game or a three-person game, so yeah, because you can go around and like nuke people's home planets, yeah, which is like devastating. It's brutal. Um, yeah, so that's uh, the final flick tier by Gabe Barrett. Uh, last one um, I just want to mention real quick is uh, Dead Man's Cabal. I had not played this, and we got a play in of this. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit this about this one later too. But yeah, that was really fun. Um, just a fun. <laughs> There's so many options in that game. That game comes out, and there's a lot of like individual boards to do things on. And the round, the way the round turn order works, I found was really, really fascinating. So uh, it's going to be different each round. And there's basically you have, if it's your turn, you do this random draw from a bag, and then you have to place a skull in one of three rows. And when you place it in the row, whatever row you're going to place it in, it pushes the other skulls down in the line so it's kind of hard to describe basically what it's doing is you can decide what the common action is going to be on your turn you're going to have your action that only you can do and then a second action that everyone can do you do it first as the, as the active player but it's really cool where you can direct the game to do um, things that you might really need but it's probably going to help everybody else or you can do something that not isn't going to help anybody that much but definitely help you a little bit more than everybody else so anyway it's this really interesting round um 
uh, action choice that you have every every turn and i found that really unique and unusual and extremely satisfying too there was one turn where i was able to do the same action twice that i really needed to do and it was so satisfying <laughs> to be able to string yeah. that together. <laughs> Didn't happen again, but that one time was like, oh, wow, that really paid off quite well for me. Yeah, because you don't directly t- uh, usually, uh, and I'm so glad that I finally got you to play this. So yeah. I'm glad we were able to do it. Um, but there's, uh, you you don't have a direct say most of the time in what the public action is going to be, but you can manipulate it into being Right. At least a couple different options based on where you place your skull initially and push push it off. But that may make you end up with a skull that you don't necessarily need or that right. you weren't angling for. So it's it there is definitely a choice there where you can't just like willy nilly put it wherever because yeah, you could see that, you know, there's people that really want you to do this one particular public action and you're like well i don't really need that so don't help them out (laughs) yeah yeah so maybe maybe it makes your you know gives you the not the ideal skull but it it you know doesn't give everybody else what they need so but then that's the hard part because sometimes there'll be a row um, that you have the skull that's going to be knocked off which is a skull that you get to keep is the skull that you need but that common action is also helpful for everybody so you have to balance how much more do i need that set collection type of the game of the skulls versus letting everyone do an action that's helpful to everybody. And that's back and forth. It's going to change each turn too. So that was really fascinating yeah. knowing like prioritizing that and re- and being okay with that. Then it sounds probably more thinking than it is because it's a quick action that you do every beginning of the turn. You don't have to think too much about it, but that is a consideration and it was a really fun consideration to begin your turn or the planning of your turn. Yeah. I, uh, I, if you've been listening the last few weeks, uh, you know this one's really high up on my list. So uh, I absolutely love this game. I'm probably in double digits on plays now, and uh, I still don't necessarily think that uh, I've really seen everything that it has to present. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to playing it again. So, and this was the first. This was my first non-four-player game. Mm-hmm. So I've never even played with three player, but uh, so we played two player and it does definitely change some dynamics, especially because it's like private action, public action, and then you do private action, public action, and then it's right back to me. Right. right, Whereas in a four player game, you have to sit through three other public actions before it comes back to you. And so uh, you, I, I find that you can develop a, uh, you can develop tactics and a, a more solid strategy that nobody can really dick you out of. Um, really, uh, in a two-player game, you can get on that path and stay on that path. Sure, yeah. Um, you can get other people. You know, you can get each other with uh, like the scriptorium by taking yeah. the uh, the spots that you want there. But uh, for the most part, it's uh, it. It's almost multiplayer solitaire to an extent, but there's still definitely ways to influence everybody else. So, yeah, big thumbs up for me for sure. All right, let's jump into our main topic of the day. So uh, we have a a list of games, another top five list, but within that we wanted to talk about um, a mechanism with that these games do well, and that is press your luck. Press your 
וואק. Yeah, we are going to be doing this a little bit differently instead of just talking about the topic and then the top five games. We're going to kind of incorporate um, our top five lists into um, into the topic and talk about how uh, they do it yeah, and the why des- they're unique. The design piece. Uh, I, I wanted to get more into, you know, as as what kind of... Um, what kind of ideas that that they had and what kind of design choices they probably struggled with why does this particular uh element of this game make it what it is yeah uh, and how can you how you can use it in other games you know what it could do differently so there's so many different ways to press your luck and i'm hoping uh that these lists will show that because mine are five very i feel like very different uh types of pressure luck yeah, because pressure luck is, I mean, it's, maybe we should take a second here and define it exactly because it's its really old. I mean, it's basically gambling. And pre- gambling and press your luck type of games are thousands and thousands of years old. It's one oh, of the yeah. most ancient types of gaming. And it you, you can almost say most, if not all games, have an element of it or are straight up press your luck based games built around that system. Um, and it's easy to understand. I mean, if you took a deck of cards and just told someone, all right, I have every time a spade comes up, you get a dollar. But if one heart comes up, you got to give it all back. People would be engaged with that for whatever oh, yeah. reason. There, there, there's something about that risk reward ratio and getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger that is really engaging and, um, something to consider when you're designing, even in a, a minimal way, if it's not going to be a huge part of your game, it should be at least probably part of it or probably will pop up inadvertently. Um, yeah, and that that what you just described is like the most prototypical basic yeah. concept of what pressure luck at least in in exactly how we're referring to it here is. It's okay, just one more thing and I could bust or I could, you know, uh I I but there's so much reward potential. Right, yeah. You know, do I do I do one more card and take the money, or do I? Yeah, do I risk it? You know, <laughs> so that's uh, that's I think that is just in our nature. Totally, yeah. You know, to just love and thrive on that. That I'm so close, I could have it all. Yeah. Or I could have nothing. Yeah. I know it's <laughs> that in itself is so thrilling. Like most gambling games. Or a lot of gambling games aren't really good as games in and of themselves. If you took right. out the fact that you win things, no one's going to play craps. No. <laughs> like, it's just not engaging. No, craps without money is crap. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's just garbage. No it's S. an activity, just rolling dice and playing stats. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. Once you put that reward in, yeah, it's just suddenly extremely addictive. I mean, sometimes literally addictive, but there's something extremely engaging about that mechanism and that interaction with uh, luck. So anyway, this is our list of some games that we enjoy that have elements of this or are straight up pure press your luck games. And um, I guess let's get right into it. Okay. All right. I'll start it off with um, a game that I uh, enjoy. I'm also fascinated with this game because it's it's the designer did this game and then nothing else ever. (laughs) And (laughs) And it's a good game. Uh, so this game is called Tobago, and uh, the designer is Bruce Allen. And this, is, from my understanding, this game was fairly popular in Germany or in Europe. Oh yeah, very much so. And yeah, and then uh, and then it sort of would have stood to reason that he would have done another game or followed up, but he has 
he's done nothing. So it's always this mystery to me, like why, what happened, and why not? And hey, when you paint your masterpiece first, like why bother? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, she's the uh, <laughs> yeah, he's the one hit wonder poster boy. Um, so anyway, the way Test Your Luck comes into this game is in just a small part of the game, but it really is satisfying the way it pops up. So the premise of the game is that you are treasure hunters on the island of Tobago, or at least some Mediterranean island, that is uh, being discovered for the first time, and there are treasures about, and you are slowly figuring out where they are to go dig. You each have this little RV, or, uh, Land Rover type vehicle that is trekking across the island, picking up clues, and uh, getting close to treasure to dig them up. You share, you you individually on your turn have a hand of cards that are clues, and they're just very basic, like next within two spaces of water, or next to a palm tree, or not next to a palm tree, or not next to an ocean uh, uh, space that borders the ocean. So you're playing these on one of the treasure colors. Uh, individually, and then you're putting your color chit marker on. So let's say I'm red. I would say not next to the ocean, under the plaque treasure, and put my chit there. That's the first clue. So we know, we look at the board, and we kind of know that it is not next to the ocean, so it's inland. Okay, that's not enough to find the treasure, but as the game progresses around and around, people are going to be laying more clues that eventually narrow down exactly where it has to be. You can never play a card that um, is illogical. It can't be next to the ocean and not next to the ocean, so obviously. So it always has to add to the logic of the clues that are going. And uh, when you play, you put your color marker on there so you know which clues or treasure clues you contributed to. So anyway, when you dig up the treasure, this is one of the things that I think makes this game good. <clears throat> it isn't necessarily, or it isn't definitely, the first person to get to the treasure once they figure out where it is gets the treasure. Basically, you're all archaeologists or adventurers, whatever, and once the treasure is dug up, you all are alerted to this fact, and and then whoever has contributed to the clues of that treasure runs over there, you dig up the treasure together, and the treasure is in cards. So however many clues you contributed, you get that many cards in your hand, and they're usually they're represented by just gold pieces. However, there are curses in there as well. So let's say I contributed two curses, Bill contributed one curse, and someone else contributed another curse. I would get two cards, Bill would get one, the other person would get another Clue. one. Clue. Clues. Or, or, sorry, yep. clues. Uh, clues. Then uh, I would get two treasure cards, Bill would get one, and the other person would get one. So we look at our cards, and then we put them back together and shuffle them all up. So I know what two of them are, and they each know what one of them is. And then they're individually flipped over. And in turn order, for basically the last person to lay the clue, so basically the person who determined pretty much where it was, gets to choose, do they want that card, or are they going to pass? And then it would go down the line to each player saying, do they want it or pass? And if no one wants it, it goes out. <clears throat> so you know you have a little bit of information knowing what's in there. And if I know there's a four gold piece treasure in there, if the first one to pop up is one, I'm probably not going to take it. However, if a curse ever pops up, the treasure is just gone. It's just disappeared. We 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 gambled and lost because we uh, we we just got too too greedy and the spirit of the island took it from us or what, however you want to couch it. But anyway, it creates this great dynamic where a game where it could have been oh it's kind of fun to figure out what these treasures are and then we get to them ah you were too much it just happened to be closer to it or right on the space right. you got it that's frustrating it turned into now the playing field is a bit evened even though I maybe added more clues so I have a little bit more information but I still have the same luck as you do on what might be coming next and so I have to um gamble with that i've got to i've got to really think about 
if I want to just take some smaller value treasures, because I know that's what's in there, but I don't know what you know, so maybe you know there's better stuff, or really wait for a big payoff and uh, choose your strategy that way. So it really made some strategy in that part of the game, and it's quick, It and, so, and it's over quickly, so it's not like you're hemming and hawing forever. It's just like, do you want it? No, yes, you, 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 okay, it's yours, and then until the treasure's gone and then you're done and then you're going back to finding another treasure so i really like how tobago did it it's very satisfying and it takes a uh the game to the next uh next level for me for a, for a light game it adds uh some nice strategy to it yes i agree that uh that's very cool very cool piece to it so my first one uh is fairly recent uh won the spiel des Jahres uh last year that is the Quacks of Quedlingburg. Oh, yeah. Uh, it is a, I mean, at its core, it, it is a pure press your luck game. So you have a bag full of tokens, and uh, you are trying not to bust by getting more than seven of these uh, cherry bombs in your potion. So you draw one at a time, and you go along in your potion. And you can quit whenever you want, or you can keep going because you know there's a, you've got six, and you know there's a three cherry bomb in there, but you also know there's four ones that are, that are not cherry bombs that are, that'll get you, you know, moving on. And you're like, oh, do I risk it? And so you're like, okay, okay. And if you go bust, like you go bust, you don't get anything. So that's, uh, it, it, it really is kind of the epitome of that that so basic, you know, I, I have a chance to get a decent reward or I have a chance to lose everything. Right. And it is exceptionally well designed. Um, they translated the same concept to cards in the um, the tavern game, the did. Uh, Tiefenthal. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, D. Tevern and D. Uh, Tiefenthal. And so uh, it's it's really neat the, the way that that this that they chose to base an entire game around this. Um, this is not a new concept, but the game feels new. Uh, it's kind of a new way to do it, and I really think that uh, that, that just is super cool. And that's the thing that attracted me to it the most is the fact that you can play it safe and you can do fine by playing it safe. You can, you can middle of the packet, but to really excel at this game, you've got to take some chances. And so it's uh, and it's not a super long game. If this were a two and a half hour game, I would hate it because I hate press your luck type stuff <laughs> like this in really long games yeah. because the thought of going and going and going and going and then up oh, you chose wrong. Right. It's like looking at a choose your own adventure book and you turn the page to oh go in the you door fell in a pit. and it's like you're dead. You're like oh oh, oh. well oh no, I had no clues or information well, to let me prevent that. So that's well, frustrating. Well, shit. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so I like the fact that even uh, that it allows you that chance to um, to use the pressure luck aspect to actually say, you know what, I'm going to risk this. I know that I could bust, but it's only like a one in four chance, you know, or one in five chance. I, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. And when you make it. 
you cheer and you're happy and and when you draw the wrong thing like everybody's like oh so it it, it kind of contributes to that um to to the interaction at the table and it contributes to those moments of suspense those big aha moments those fun explosive moments that i think that all the best games yeah. encourage and and i don't know of a better mechanism to use for that then press your luck. Oh, for sure. Because when you think about every big aha moment that you have, those big explosions, you know, at the table next to you, you look over, and it's always a pressure luck thing. Yeah, that comes that, out that they did right as you need it. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, oh, I drew the right card, which even that is is a in essence can be press your luck. Is you know, hey, there's a whole bunch of cards in here I don't need, but there's one I do. Right, yeah, yeah. And I have one move left. I could do this other thing that would help me out, or I can see if I can draw this one card. And you do, and it's just the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Like Fireworks go off, yeah, the table erupts. It yeah. feels that way, yeah. And so that, that to me is like so energizing. I, I don't get that out of video games or, you know, anything else. So yeah. uh, that's, that's like one of the things that makes tabletop gaming – so awesome for me so yeah yeah that build up but i agree with what you said though about being too much press your luck because then it's just frustrating because if you have laid this groundwork it is satisfying when it plays out and it can also fail but if it's too much without agency to kind of better your odds then it just feels like well what am i what am i even doing here i'm kind of just yeah. part of a machine that's working its way through regardless of what i do yeah, if I'm playing a two and a half hour game and I make a mistake and I lose, okay, that's on me. Yeah. But if I'm playing a two and a half hour game and I happen to draw the wrong token out of a bag, right? Fuck you, game. Yeah. Well, that's a good point for design because that frustrating unraveling of basically everything you did for one end game or end mechanism is so infuriating, and a lot of yeah. games do it. I mean, you see it probably the problem less these days with because the design's getting better or more consistently better but yeah man there's some games where it's just like well what was the point of all of that what was the point of all of that yeah. if the whole point is to do this last thing right and, and that's why i think uh the good pressure luck games at least the ones with heavy pressure luck elements are shorter games absolutely i totally and agree with that so yeah. if you are designing and it gives you the most bang for your buck so if you're des- if you're looking to design a pressure luck game i think that 20 to 30 minutes, maybe up to 40 minutes is your sweet spot. And if you're looking to design a 30 minute game, this is probably a, a element, a mechanism that you really want to seriously consider looking at because it packs so much punch. It gives you those, those, you know, poppy moments and it, it draws people in and it makes people want to play again. Um, but yeah, if you're designing a longer game, uh, the longer the game, the less I would say to incorporate any sort of pressure lock mechanisms. Or even if it's just part of the game, no one to say, oh, stay, you're welcome with the pressure lock part of it. Because yeah. it can easily just become too much. It's a tempting, it's a huge temptation as a designer to lean heavily on that risk reward excitement. Because like Bill was saying, it's one of the most exciting moments when, ev- when it does work out in your favor and suddenly you're like it worked oh my god it worked because a there's a little bit of agency there but also the luck is in your favor and that is an extremely empowering feeling but it deadens each time it happens or if it happens too much that excitement 
fails. So some of the best games I've seen are where the swings, like our, our discussion of Nemesis was really exciting because the swings of Press Your Luck there were kind of minimal. I mean, it definitely impacted the game, but as the 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 risks get higher suddenly you're really paying attention to those dice rolls and as you get closer to the end and you're rolling the highs get so much higher because before you're just rolling running around making noise an alien pops up yeah who cares but then suddenly the same mechanism the same odds but you are just you have created a much higher need uh within the game so at that time nothing has changed except what you need to do and that has to do with the time crunch but with what you need to do in a certain amount of time and so you're paying so much more attention to what happens and so it's like ah or oh um so anyways without staying your welcome or making sure that you're conscious of how the effect of that up and down feeling is on a player i think is something to really definitely keep in mind when you're incorporating pressure luck yeah and and it can be uh and you can have pressure luck in longer games obviously uh but it should not trigger like it shouldn't cause you to win or lose the game. Right. In a longer game. In a shorter game. By itself. Game, by yeah. itself, yeah. In a 10-minute game, you can have a whole game that is just press your luck and you press your luck to win or to lose. Bam. Because it's yeah. over so quick and you, you have that punch and that's what the whole game is about. But if if I played Nemesis for two and a half hours and at the end when the alien pops up, if I have to, you know, keep drawing spade cards and I have to draw 10 of them before I can draw a heart, <laughs> then you know what? I'm going to be mad. <laughs> I'm going to be mad that the game came down to this. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be upset. Well, so, let's, let's get into two good examples of that. I, I'm going to bring up two at a time. Uh, and there's two different extremes of that. Uh, uh, Deep Sea Adventure and Clank, or Clank in Space is the one I'm going to talk about. Clank in Space is a good example of what Bill's talking about, as at the end of the game, there is a pressure luck element, and you can um, lose on it for sure, but you do feel like it's... I, I at least feel it's earned. It can, it's, it can be annoying, but it feel, still feels like you see it coming to a degree. Your odds yeah. are... You're aware of your odds. Uh, and then Deep Sea Adventure, I it's think... It's also due to choices that you've made. Exactly, yeah. You've sort yeah. of built those odds as the game progressed. And exactly. so it's like, ah, I pushed it too far. You I can see where I pushed it. it too far back there and risked too much or something. Yeah, you have a hand in it. And I, <clears throat> I appreciate that in the game. Yeah. And so, like, so basically, I'll just, I guess we'll just get into Clank first. Um, is like, yeah, you're running... Clank is literally... You're running Clank or Clank in space. The same premise. Clank is in the dungeon and your dragon's lair. Clank in space is on an evil lord spaceship. So you're running through these game boards, these areas, and going to get treasure and and then grab it and then run out. And the deeper you get in, the more valuable the treasure is. So that's straight up press your luck right there. In the game, you're going to be creating clank or noise that's going to make the dragon or the evil lord aware of your presence and send out more, um, eventually sends out mercer mercenaries. I don't think clank has mercenaries. I think that's just clank in space. Uh, or bounty hunters, sorry. But anyway, it's a grab bag system. So clank draws when he attacks and the bad guys attack it's based on how much noise you've been making and or the the effects are based on how much noise you're making or how much risk you've been putting yourself under for how loud you've been so you can be limited in your clank or you can not care about clank and just try to speed through in and out so you really do have a lot of agency on your personal risk in this game and so you can get all the way for instance clank in space back with your treasure to the escape pods 
suddenly he triggers an attack and you've been making a lot of noise, your odds are really bad that he's going to attack you and he hits you like five times potentially and you're like, all right, I died. Well, that makes sense. I was very yeah. loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I I pushed it earlier. It's not frustrating that way. It's my fault. Right, yeah, exactly. I pushed it earlier. I knew what I was setting myself up for. Um, that that I think is is super forgivable as long as you have that kind of agency. Yeah. Yeah, and so it's it's a that's example of a somewhat longer. It's not long game, but it's longer than a lot of these games where you are um, doing that push your luck, and it does feel rational. You can trace back the decisions you've made in the game on why you probably died towards the end or at the last minute or even at the last turn. Uh, a good example of a very short game is a uh, Deep Sea Adventure. Now, Deep Sea Adventure is not a game I would like to play in a long version, and it's not a no. game I would like to play probably more than twice. But I really like the game. I think it's an amazingly good example of pretty much a bare bones press your luck mechanism on uh, in, in a game. So the premise of Deep Sea Adventure is you're deep sea divers on a budget. So you're all in the same submarine. You can only afford one, I guess, to rent together or buy. And you're diving down to get treasure and then coming back up with that treasure. And there's an oxygen tracker in the submarine. That you're all sharing. That you all share. Yeah, so you all affect it. When you're diving down, it doesn't move at all because you're just sinking to the bottom and you don't have any weight. There's no uh, there's no extra ballast that you have that you need to worry about. You're not working too hard. You're not breathing very hard. But as soon as you pick up a treasure, suddenly for each treasure you have on your turn, the oxygen ticks down that many spaces. Uh, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's like 75 or some spaces. So not, not a ton. But uh, and it also removes uh, it removes movement from the die, which are limited right. anyway. They can move less. They're yeah. only like uh, three sided. Yeah, three basically three sided. Yeah, so. sorry, they're six sided, but there's only the highest you can get is three. Yeah. Yeah. So so when you start carrying two or three treasures, you can roll not only using oxygen, but you can roll these die and literally not move. Right. You uh, be because stuck. it's yeah, because it's hard to to roll too high. So uh, that. That's like kind of two different ways, but you win the game by having this treasure. Right. So it, it, Aaron, remember Aaron hated it. He <laughs> he escaped back to the sub, but with no treasure. Right. He got back safely, but nothing in his hands. Yeah. And so, so yeah. So what's he, worse? Yeah, what's exactly, worse? Finishing yeah, the yeah. game with nothing or dying? Yeah. Trying to win. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, if technically if everyone dies every round and the only one that ever survived, you do win, but... Do you? I think technically you would. With I've never, no treasure? I, well, if no one has any points, you're the only one who's left standing, I think that would yeah, probably be... but if you don't have a, any points either, I don't <laughs> know. Like, I think I, that would be a game condition. <laughs> I don't know. I'd have to look that up, but I would assume that would be, but... <laughs> the reason why this game is fun, you play, you play each game over three rounds, so you take a dive down each... Um, uh, for three times, three three rounds. And you can be, uh, however you want to couch it, killed or knocked unconscious from lack of oxygen and have to be rescued between the rounds if you don't make it back in time. But it's this really fun... Uh, one of the reasons I like this game specifically, but also Press Your Luck in general, is I think Press Your Luck more than maybe most, probably most other, I'll say that, most other mechanisms creates table engagement across the across tables with people because everyone knows the odds even for themselves for sure but definitely for you and they can see you pressing your luck or trying to get greedy and take too much and maybe you're gonna pay that's gonna pay off and you're gonna beat them and so they have this tension of like this fear of missing out moment where like well should i oh no 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 maybe i'll just like i'll do my own thing and hope like uh they'll be <laughs> they'll fail and die or whatever but it creates a lot of table talk and, and trash talk with the over uh, with each other. 
and this really fun camaraderie feel, even though you're against each other, you are experiencing it vicariously through them within this game. So I've had a lot of games where I don't do very well, but I still enjoy this game and uh, the way I can affect everyone's luck, but also my own yeah. uh, within the structure. I, I agree 100%. It is uh, it is as quintessential a press-your-luck game as it gets. Yeah. Uh, so And it, it shines through, and it has a lot of those booming moments, those aha moments. So. Yeah. If you can get back or someone's rolling right, or you're just heavily lugged down with the treasure, and someone's like refusing to drop any, they've got four treasures, and they're like, no, or three treasures, whatever, whatever it would be to actually be able to move with the odds. And they're just like, I'll get there. And you can see the oxygen timer is counting down or the counter is it's counting down. And then everyone's close to the ship or at the ship and they just refuse to drop the treasure and they're slogging and slogging and slogging. So it's just fun to watch and engage with that um, as the act player or just watching that player. So anyway, a really, really good example of clear, straight up press your luck. Agreed. Agreed. A hundred percent. All right. What other one should we talk about? Um, well, I have uh, one on my list called uh, Welcome to the Dungeon. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, have you ever played this? I, na- I haven't. I know the so, game, but I have not played it. The premise behind this, for anyone unfamiliar with Welcome to the Dungeon, is basically you have... Uh, everybody has a hero that has all this stuff. This, uh, you know, armor and weapons and, you know, magic shit. And uh, there's a dungeon with a whole bunch of boss monsters in it. And you are basically wagering on who can get through the dungeon alive with the least things. So you're like, I can do it without my armor. And the next guy might be, well, I can do it without my armor and my shield. And the next person will be like, well, I can do it without my sword and my armor and my shield. And then it may come back to you and you're like, you know, I... Go for it. Good. Go for so it. So yeah. it's kind of it's kind of like that. I can name that tune in three. Yeah. Right, name that tune All in right, three. Go for it. That's literally this this game in dungeon form. Uh, so then you take your kind of stripped down hero and you run him through this dungeon. Basically, kind of the equivalent of uh, like um, that spaceship game where you build the spaceship and oh, Galaxy Trucker, Galaxy yeah. Trucker style kind of thing. Um, and it's it's really really interesting because you you kind of know I mean you know what the dungeon's about you know what your odds are and you know kind of how like if you're fully equipped the dungeon's no problem right right um, but every little layer you lose of something <laughs> that you say you can do it uh, it it hurts and you know it hurts and you're feeling it you're like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I can and it is the it it is not like tradi- traditional press your luck, but it really is in that you're like, uh, well, I can I can name that tune in three. <laughs> um, so it it take it's a it's a really interesting take on it because it does give you all the agency. Right. Uh, basically, just comes down to and and yeah, obviously there's luck in the dungeon on which cards appear in what order and. Uh, so on and so forth. But there's also a certain amount of skill in knowing what you can do without and what you can't and kind of knowing where your characters limit because uh, every character has different abilities and things like that. So it's not like you're all starting with the same guy with the same stuff. Um, but you have a lot of agency in that pressure lock 
And, and sometimes you're just trying to get somebody else to press just a little bit farther than you, knowing that they have no chance. Right, right. If you say, well, I can do it without this, this, and this, and you know that they, you want to get them to say one more thing, but then sometimes they don't. And you're like, <laughs> oh, I may oh, have shoot. messed myself up. It's kind of like bidding on that thing to raise the bid. Yeah, yeah. And in every bidding game, and they're like, "Okay, you can have it." You're like, "Wait, wait, wait no, 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 I don't." Okay, Dang. fine. All right, dang. <laughs> uh, so I really, when I think of pressure luck games, that's one of the first ones that jumps into my head, and I, I really enjoy it. Um, Kevin has it, so we could. Uh, he usually brings it with him, so if you ever want to try it out, yeah, I see it pop. I see it around game night, so I would like to check it out. Uh, Galaxy Structure is too interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, that's one that's speaking of contentious. Some people really love that game, and some people yeah, really, really hated hate that it. game. Yeah, and I I get it because once again, press your luck can be once you're gonna fall one side or the other on how you feel about it because there's going to be luck involved. That's part, literally in the name. Yeah. Uh, but that is another fun one, similar, which is you know you are designing to offs to put the luck in your favor but at the end as the game's progressing you're going to have no control on yeah. as things explode and fall off your ship you're just sort of watching your luck play out in real time yeah and that one can be that one's pretty different because of the fact that it's it's uh it's real time when you're assembling that your ship so you end up with just these weird monstrosities right right uh, because you're not building for efficiency or anything like that you're just like trying to put something <laughs> together that will Speed, survive yeah. um so yeah um and so you you mentioned two. You want me to mention another uh, one yeah, while sure. we're at it here? Um, this is uh, one that we talked about not too long ago. Um, and I don't know if this will be a crossover or not, but uh, this is Biblios. Oh, yeah. And Biblios, uh, I, I've actually heard people argue this on, uh, on a thread on a Board Game Geek forum about that they didn't think it was pressure lock. But it, it really, really is. And the piece, oh, totally, yeah. the part that is, is when you draw a card and you have to decide right off the bat, do I keep this? Is this the best I'm going to get? Or do I give it publicly to somebody else? Or do I hold on to it to bid for it? Right. And you're deciding right there. Uh, it it can be have a huge influence between you getting, you know, one gold or you getting, you know, uh, three gold or a a book that you're collecting. Right. So it's uh, or, or being able to to change the dice or what have you. I mean, you're really making uh, that is pressure luck. You're because you can't go back and say, oh no, never mind. I actually want to keep that. Uh, you may end up giving another player a better card than you get. So or you may end up getting the best card. Or you may get a, end up getting a card you don't need because it's just the last one. Right. So that that is that pressure luck piece there is like the reason I like Biblios. Yeah. Because they could have done this in a different way. Um, they could have not made it pressure luck. They could have had you you know draw all the cards at once and assign them out. Right. Um, and it it would have functionally been the same game. But I don't think it would have been. I don't think it'd be nearly as exciting. Only it'd be nearly as fun. I don't think I would play it nearly as much, and I, I don't think I would recommend it uh, nearly as much if it didn't have that pressure like element. This is one of those games where having this little piece in it, to me, makes the game. Makes the Absolutely. game what it is. Uh, it changes it from being a math game 
to being a pressure luck game. Because if, if you just drew all the cards at once, you can math all that out in your head. Like, right, there's right, right. an ideal yeah. perfect card to give away. There's an ideal perfect card to bid on, and there's an ideal perfect card to keep. Yeah. And you can you can figure that out. But if you don't know what's coming and you're pressing your luck, hey, I really want this, I really want this, that's not it. Uh, I'm gonna I, I might want this. I'm gonna give it to somebody else because I know that my card's out there and oh, I just got something worse. <laughs> you know, or bam. I just got the thing I wanted, so uh, it kind of adds that that excitement and that that you know thing inside you when you're just looking at these cards. You're like, oh, a little <laughs> fist bump to yourself. You're like, yeah. nailed it. I was gonna say you have these quiet solo moments for yourself. You're like, yes, yeah. <laughs> and and that's what makes the game engaging. Because if I didn't yeah. have those like internal high five moments in this game, like, what's the point? Right, yeah, absolutely. Because there's not any other parts of this game that are just like jump up and down, you know, <laughs> exciting. Uh, that is the core of the game. Yeah. At least, at least for me, that's that's by far the best part. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great example, too, of another game where having the right amount of luck involved makes it so much better as a game and really engaging and satisfying because you're doing that, you know, with those card straws. Uh, it's coming around the table um you know pretty quickly it's a pretty quick game and so it's coming mm-hmm. back around to you and you're, you're repeating that process repeating the process and then you can get to see it play out in the second round as you bid and you sort of built up what you're bidding for so that's another form of pressing your luck is the auction phase so yeah i i just totally agree in those quiet moments of like yes when you get right? that, the first card or the you pressed your luck to the last card and it comes up and it's like exactly what you wanted and you're like yeah um is so so satisfying so yeah biblios is Great yeah, addition I, to the list. I agree because the uh, the auction phase, like on a scale of one to ten, the auction phase would be like maybe a six for me, whereas the first phase is a nine. Yeah, yeah. But if it the pressure luck piece weren't in the first phase, then I think I would actually like the auction phase better. Right. And be when the, the best part of, the game, of your yeah. game is a six, your game's <laughs> not great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> so. a good point. Is like the pre the prequel part or the previous mode of the game is the more freewheeling fun exciting part and then the auction is more all right let's get down to brass tacks and and, yeah and uh, actually bid back and forth here because you know a lot of what's in there uh you know in three-player game you know a third of what's in there yeah and you've already decided in your head what you're waiting for you know what you're looking for you know what you're collecting at that point a good idea what everyone else is collecting or a sense of it i mean very few people jump into the auction phase going i don't know what i'm doing i'm just gonna (laughs) buy everything uh because that's literally never gonna happen so Yeah, Um, yeah. So it it really is. It's business time in the second. Right, right. But uh, get down to business. Yeah, let's be Tuesday. Got my business socks on, or (laughs) however that goes. Wednesday. I don't remember which night's business Business time. Business time. But yeah, that's uh, that's Biblios, and that's that is a completely different look at pressure lock and how it can kind of incorporate, similar to Tobago, where it can uh, Tobago, where it can. can be just a part of a game, right? Uh, but it adds so much to the experience. Yeah. So uh, if your game, if you're designing a game and you are like looking for, and, and you're like, man, my game is good, the core mechanism works, it's just not as exciting as yeah. it could be, or maybe there's like, oh, people aren't engaged, or there's no aha moments. Take a look at a couple little places you could add a touch of press your luck mm-hmm. where you could get that extra 
oomph, that extra engagement, that extra sense of I don't have full control over this, but I love it. Right, right. You know? So, uh, obviously, if you're creating a Euro game, this <laughs> yes. it, you don't even have to listen to this episode. What is luck? <laughs> what is that? It must yes. be an American concept. <laughs> right. Um, so, I uh, my next one is an example of a being on both sides of the luck dynamic. It's an asymmetrical game where one person is pretty much pressing their luck, and the other person is trying to um kind of knows what their odds are and is trying to in their own way press their luck but also affect the uh the other person directly on how much they want to risk versus the reward that is netrunner oh so i am stumped at what game you're describing (laughs) so netrunner uh, i'm sure if if you've probably heard it mentioned uh, but basically it's a two-player asymmetrical game that one person it represents basically these futuristic corporations that are big and evil um, or whatever in the future. Who can say what capitalism is? But uh, but basically they're just, just giant monolithic corporations. And then the other person is a hacker who is hacking into the corporation's servers to steal their secrets and um, sell them or whatever they do with them, release them to the public. So basically the corporation player is going to have the servers there. They are going to have direct control over the servers, what's in the servers, and where the secret information is hidden. So they're also going to be putting in the servers traps, um, bait and swear, false flags, um, things to uh, to draw the attention of the hacker and hope that they go down that route, that server route. If nothing else, just to waste their time. And so it's a it's a fun and exciting game to play. Where on either side, I tend to play the corporation more often. Um, but on the corporation side, you are controlling all of the information and it's an exciting, giddy feeling when you know that they're going down the server that's just going to blow up in their face and you're trying <laughs> to be like, oh no, why'd you pick that one? That's the worst one for me. And, then, and so you're trying to send signals. It's got a lot of bluffing involved. Um, be, uh, and this, on the corporation side, you're trying to send these signals to offset the reality of what's going on and see their, see them playing that or running through that calculation in their head about pressing their luck based on what they know about what you're giving away or, um, you know, what, whatever tools that they have to do it with it as well. So it's just a really fun dynamic where you get to see both sides of it, or you can play on both sides of the press your luck, um, mechanism. Uh, a lot of games do this, but I think Netrunner does it just some of the best at the best feeling because it's a, it's a two player game and you just get a lot of concentration of that. A lot of one VL games do this. Imperial assault does this, um, that's another one. Uh, Fear of Dracula. We talked about that one a little bit ago. That one does that. A lot of games that have that one VR setup, you get a satisfaction of this as well. But this is just a concentrated cup of press your luck and bluffing. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I like uh, I enjoy Netrunner a lot. It is uh, it is a good one for sure. All right. Do you have any? Uh, do you have another one you want to throw up? I do have another one okay. I want to throw up. <laughs> or out. Wait, what? <laughs> On the pile? The <laughs> macabre, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I actually have I have two more. All right. Um, so I have Bang the Dice Game. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which we've talked about plenty of times, but it is very press your luck in that it is the Yahtzee principle where you get two re-rolls. So you do your first roll and you're like, okay, I get to shoot my neighbor. But I'm really, really low on health. So do I re-roll these to try and get beer to heal myself? Because I know 
that I'm going to be the target when it goes around to my neighbor because I think they're the deputy. They already know I'm the outlaw. Uh, gosh, what do I do? I, I want to try and heal myself. So I re-roll it again, and bam, it's even worse this time. I'm like, well, I have one more re-roll. Now I can, you know, I've rolled an arrow, so now I'm even closer to losing life. But if I can just get on this last re-roll, if I can just get a beer or two, I can stay alive. And so do I Do I just take what I have? Do I risk more arrows? Uh, do I, what, what do I do? Do I risk not being able to shoot somebody? Uh, but I re-roll it again, and bam, I got my two beers. That's exactly what I wanted. I avoided arrows, and... Uh, life is good. Uh, but at the same time, it could have just rolled two extra arrows and I pull the last one and I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's very, uh, just the whole Yahtzee part of it is, uh, is a pressure lock, the re-rolls, you know, because you could always re-roll worse than what you rolled. Right. Right. Especially in a game like that, uh, because in, in bang, there's the, the arrows, which are the delayed, uh, loss of life. So, there, there are, and there's the dynamite. Right. So there's bad there's things. There's bad things you can roll, but at the same time, there's, there's, you know, four out of six of those things could be really good things for you. Um, so I think that that is a, a fun take on on pressure lock. It's obviously a much older take on pressure lock because it's related to that whole dice and Yahtzee mechanism, but. Um, still holds up really well though. Yeah, I mean, it does. And it's in so many other games, King of Tokyo. Yep. And you know, I mean, you could sit, we could do an entire episode on Yahtzee games. Uh, cause yeah. they're j- it's All, just every ever. single rolling, right? <laughs> yeah. Ever elder sign. Um, yeah, they're, they're all basically just fancy Yahtzee. So yeah, bangs are interesting though, because that you do have those two negative options that are different speeds. The dynamite will blow up in your face on your turn, but you have this long-term press your luck game where you, with the arrows that you might not even trigger. Like you might right. not be the one to trigger that, but someone might trigger damage to you and out of the blue, you've got to take a damage for it. So it's, it's, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm trying to think of other games that have that two elements of press your luck in that way. I'm sure there are, I'm just blanking, but Bang just does it really well. Yeah. That's the first one that popped in my head when I was trying to think of uh, like a Yahtzee type, game because i mean that is that's as pure a pressure luck as you're you're gonna find yes, anywhere yeah. so um yeah and that one i think just does it really really well and uh yeah i like it a lot yeah i'm just gonna uh tie another oh, this is a good example of why pressure luck works as a group because of the fact that it does encourage table talk and it does encourage a communal experience even if you're not playing commute uh, as a uh, cooperative game but it lends itself really well to co-op games um in a game that i'm gonna bring up next uh called the grizzled and Mm. um the grizzled is a cooperative game that takes place in world war one it's about frontline infantry soldiers and there is i'm not gonna get too much of the gameplay depressing as hell if you really think about the theme it's very depressing you're just basically trying to get through the war i believe you're english soldiers and trying to get through the war and survive with as little damage to yourself as possible and just get through it and so yeah if you think about the theme um it's very depressing um but there are also these charming sweet moments of it if you want to heal someone or or um if you want to improve their stock you uh, give them a cup of tea <laughs> that's that's how right. you, and so it's kind of these sweet little moments of 
within the game that I think probably reflects a certain amount of reality from the war. But uh, it's just a very, very fun and uh, satisfying cooperative game. And the press your luck element here is shared as a group. And so you you really feel it. You really feel, uh, obviously, it's war <laughs> right away. Whoever comes out of war uh, to a degree in reality is probably a lot of luck. So you feel the sense that even though you are working together, there is going to be a certain amount of luck about what happens and who is the weakest link and who um, needs the most help, um, regardless of how well they're contributing to the to the goals of the group, they might just have some really crappy luck within this game. And that affects you as their teammate. So this Press Your Luck to me is a, just a, a extremely satisfying version of that that you have to do communally. And the downside of this game is if anyone doesn't, if gets frustrated by having to share decisions within a group, you're probably not going to like this game. But I really enjoy it because of that fact that it is a difficult game. You do have to communicate with each other. Um, but at the same time, on your turns, you are have the agency to push that envelope a little further and try to offset certain things for down the road versus immediate gratification and uh press your luck comes in here in a very unique way i think yeah no i i agree if uh if you can get past the um the horrific depression of the <laughs> the whole thing which is like in the art style and like it it's uh, yeah, I, it's like I a, like it. I really like the game, and I, I really like what it does, especially with uh, pressure like in a co-op type environment. But man, it's dark. Yeah, yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it's not dark as directly as like you think some like horror games are, but the but the uh, reality it's based on. To and me, it's even more that. dark because yeah? it's based in reality. Well, probably because that's a good point, you yeah. know people went through this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, this is actually real. I don't think anyone that I know of. Uh, has ever faced Cthulhu, you know? <laughs> well, would you say if you had? I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know. There's, uh, I mean, obviously, if you had, you probably wouldn't be around talking about it. But, um, yeah, I just think there's something more awful about that harsh reality that yeah like, yeah this oh, is, for these sure. are real people i mean yeah these, is, these events were real uh, yeah so. well it, it, it the tie-ins too to world war one are great i mean it even has that raw doll um style of yeah anim- or um uh drawing yeah and um and so that era of of representation of art is yeah, it feels really old. rich yeah, yeah. It, it feels old for sure uh, and that's the grizzled that's a good one my last one is as pure a press your luck concept as I can possibly fathom existing. <laughs> it does it with dice. It is very fast game, very quick, um, and it's called Martian Dice. Oh, I'm not um, one. It is 10 dice, it, it, and kind of things similar to it have come out, like zombie dice, and there's a Batman dice game, and, um, and they're all similar kind of based on the same concept but in martian dice you have these 10 die and they have uh on the face of them they have a martian they have uh no they have a death ray which are are bad Uh, and then they have like uh defense against the death ray and then there's uh a human a chicken a cow (laughs) that might be it um, so what you're doing is you're rolling all these and you, uh, you have unlimited re-rolls, but, uh, if you roll a death ray, a Martian death ray, then you have to keep it and you need 
as much as many or more defense die against those uh, or you automatically die. So obviously with 10 die, as soon as you get to five uh, death rays, you, you can't do anything. You have to pass the die. You don't score anything. Um, if you collect, if you roll and you collect um, either the cows or the humans or the chickens, uh, you can take them and they're worth points if you end up scoring. And you could stop at any point in time. Okay. Um, but you can only take a group once. So if you roll your 10 die and there's three humans, you can pull the three humans and then when you re-roll again, say you roll all humans, you can't keep any of those new humans. You've already pulled your human group. And it's the same with uh, the cows and the chickens. Um, and, but, and every time you roll, you risk more death rays. Uh, so you're like, first roll, oh, three death rays and no defenses? Well, I have to re-roll again to try and at least get three defenses. Yeah. You know? And so it's there. It is 100% press your luck, and you can quit at any point in time. If you roll no two defenses and no death rays and three cows, you can keep those three cows and say, "I'm done. I'm gonna score those three points." Right, right. Because it, and sometimes that works because other people really like to push their luck and they try and get as many points as they can and use every last die. Um, and so there's a lot of fun choices. It's 100% random. Uh, I mean, obviously, the the one agency you have is you can decide when to quit. Right, right. Um, and most of the time, there will be a, a chance early on for you to be like, okay, I could score points here, but I've got four die that aren't doing anything. <laughs> right. Hmm. wonder if I could get some chickens on this next roll. No, you probably won't. Uh, you're probably <laughs> just going to roll four death rays, and it sucks. Uh, so... That's that is Martian dice, and that is uh, it's it. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's so much fun to just sit around and and it goes from person to person to person until somebody gets twenty points. Okay, so it just keeps going around. So even if you do die, you blow up, whatever, it doesn't matter. You pass on the next person; they might do the same. Um, and so it it's fun to play and explain. I mean, we were playing this with Ellie when she was, you know four or five years old. So it's an yeah. easy enough concept to understand, especially once you played it a few times. Uh, but it's also enough fun that, you know, us grownups sometimes sit around and, you know, play it if we're talking about something else or doing something else. And we just want like a little mild distraction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Martian dice, uh, love letter, uh, those kind of games are just perfect for just hanging out and, and Martian dice. You can play with as many people as you want. Uh, because you just keeps going around until somebody gets 20 points. Okay. So uh, you could just, you could play it. You got 15 people and everyone's just hanging around having coffee. <laughs> you can do it if you want. So, um, and and that's a fun one. And it is, it is 100% pressure lock. There's, there's, uh, it's as pure a pressure lock game as I can think of. Yeah. That sounds like one of those nice passive games you can just sort of yeah. talk over and play. You ever played a game called Pass the Pigs? Yeah, 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 I have. That sounds similar in feel to that game yeah. where you're just sort of like engaging with something that's sort of fun to throw on a table. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. I I like little games like that. They're not ever ones that you get upset about losing. Yeah, you know, yeah. you don't you don't brag too much when you win. You're just like, yeah, I won. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> you know. So, all right, uh, let's jump into um, 
real quick. Uh, accent. All right, we'll jump into real quick our uh, final suggestions for Halloween game night or f- spooky games right now. So we'll just be throwing up. Uh, I've just got a couple to add to the list, and then we'll just give our our top picks. But uh, the two ones that I wanted to mention are two great games. One that I've just started playing called The Bloody Inn, which is a game of um, you're, uh, you're basically running an inn in, I don't know, the 18, 1700, I'm not sure what time period it is. And, yeah. um, and then you decide that you can't make enough money in the end. So you're going to start murdering your guests and stealing their money. So speak of dark, you're speak basically of dark a games. serial killer who owns an inn. Yeah. And you're, you're all, everyone at the table is that. So, um, apparently it was based around, um, a real, a real, uh, inn called the red inn in France. So it's a cultural reference of French, France, but it's a fun game. It's very interesting to engage with. The theme, you, you can forego the theme and just you don't have to dwell on it, but it is potentially a holdup for people who are kind of sensitive to uh, directly murdering people for money. But it's I think the artwork is done well where it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a little off. And the colors are done very well, and so it's a little bit horrorish, but doesn't like it's not like graphic murder or anything like that. Um, anyway, I enjoyed the game a lot. I thought it was well played, but it also ties very much, obviously, into a spooky or horror themed game for the moment. Um, and then another one I wanted to mention was Mysterium. Mysterium has been around for a while, and I think Mysterium is just designed for obviously this time of year because you are um, one of the player represents a spirit. And the other players represents and um, investigators with like uh, mental. It's clear- basically a seance. Yeah, a seance. I was trying to think of the word. <laughs> I was yeah. Like uh, you're having a seance, trying to figure out who uh, murdered uh, the spirit, and each player is going to get clues from the spirit, but the spirit cannot talk. They can only represent their. Um, wishes or the clues through Dixit-like cards, very abstract, colorful, bizarre art, and the. Um, people within the seance have to individually track down these, uh, uh, use these cards as information to uh, figure out what the spirit is trying to tell them. So it's a funny and fun back and forth because the spirit can't necessarily directly give obvious clues. A lot of times they get clues that aren't great. And so they've got to beat around the bush and maybe there's a tiny little thing in the bottom of the corner. That's what they want you to notice. And, uh, you just are noticing it. You're like, why does it have to do with clouds? But no, it's not the clouds. It's the key at the bottom of the picture. That is really the important thing. So anyway, it's a fun game. It's really fun this time of year. And just, I think is best experienced in the fall and around Halloween. So I would, uh, recommend Mysterium as well. I, I like both of those. I played the bloody end, uh, as well. And it is, really really good yeah the the theme is is really dark because you're not just killing people like you're actually building buildings to bury them in too gotta get rid of those bodies yeah um so it's it can be a little on the dark side um so i'm just real quick gonna go uh i don't have any new ones but uh i have my base basically top three depending on what you're looking for if you're looking for a pure co-op um i think arkham horror third edition is going to be tough to beat. Uh, that's my pick for that. For um, semi-co-op, so the option of a trader mechanism, uh, I'm going to go with Dead of Winter, which I really, really love and has a great spooky, fun feel. Uh, well, maybe not fun, just dark and spooky. Um, and my recommendation for uh, non-co-op for competitive is Dead Man's Cabal. 
which uh, we mentioned last week and have also talked about in this episode. <laughs> so I won't get too back into that again, but those are my my top three based on kind of what you're looking for. All right. I would, uh, mine is going to be horrified, my overall recommendation. Um, it is a co-op game, so if you are not a co-op person, then it's probably not going to be for you. But I just really love this game. I've been playing it a lot lately. I think it lends itself to a lot, a lot of replays, and it's very... Um, it it it's really good at having horror but not like graphic horror because it's very campy and so i kind of it's not a lot of games that feel this way that are out there that aren't like kid games and so this game feels like they're i mean it, the universal monsters are doing stuff you are trying to uh, they are attacking townspeople and you and they are making the town so terrifying you can't live there anymore so in a sense it is pretty graphic but it's not a lot of like slashing and, and gore that yeah, it's some of the other horror monsters. games can get into. It's very campy. So I really like that. And I think the game was extremely well done. I consistently am impressed by the target exclusives lately. So I would check it out. It's easy to get as well, which is a big bonus. Um, and if you don't like, uh, side note, huh? if you don't like co-ops, this is very soloable. Oh, yeah. And yeah. basically could, you could consider that a competitive game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then I would just, uh, yeah, I just, I, I kind of mentioned my, my stake, my claim on Mysterium. That's a little bit harder because that's very dependent on if you like that type of game. So I, I would say Mysterium is my strong second just because of the theme is perfect for this time of year. But, um, if you do want one, that's more of a, more of a straight up competitive game than I do the second one I mentioned today, which is the bloody end. I really like that game. It is a pretty dark theme, but it's taken out of it by the fact that and maybe this lessens it or not. Everyone, even the people you're murdering are pretty horrible people. Cause you're also recruiting, recruiting them on your money scheme to murder people. And they're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And then, yeah. so for at least a while, they're part of your crew. And uh, so everyone's kind of horrible in this, universe of this game uh and i just i just really enjoyed it it's kind of a, it's a unique concept and a fun um uh, fun back and forth around the table too so yes very good game all right so that will do it for us everybody and uh hope you guys have a great halloween and the rest of your october and you can we'll catch you guys uh probably back in november i think is when the next one will be out uh yeah i think so yes Eh, that could be wrong. Who knows? Anyway, <laughs> right, I think I'm right, though. I'm not looking at a calendar. I should have looked before. But at Roasted Games One, Twitter and Instagram, find us on Facebook. And uh, you can also visit our website at roasted.games. And there you go. All right. See you guys on the next episode. Bye.